this is my first time to be in this situation with the screen exactly in front of half of the church. <laughs> and now it's just a fourth of the church, or maybe a third of the church, and now the screen is exactly behind the pole for a third of the church. Can you tell this is the kink phase? Yeah, buddy. Okay, we're going to work through this. So all of you online, all of you in person, you are welcome in this place. We're so, we're so thankful that you're here. Um, I need, oh, I need to give you some good news to start off this service. Um, we are trying to work it out to where we can get uh, two more, uh, three of these televisions. And I think they're going to try to, in this temporary place, to hang them so each section can kind of see and we had good news that the men's ministry has agreed to purchase one of them. So we want to give a special thanks to Mark and all the men. Yeah. Really thankful for that. Uh, hopefully we'll be able to have some of that up even before next Sunday with Mother's Day coming. And I also need to say that this, this series, our calling, this first one that we are tackling, this idea of making disciples, there is a plethora of material on this idea, and rightly so, but it did remind me of an old World, World War II veteran that caught me after the service when I first began preaching. And I, I had preached a rather lengthy sermon, and so he pulled me to the side, and he said, Brother Baker, I need to tell you a story. I said, yeah, yeah, Joe. Joe was his name. I said, what's your story? He said, well, there was this farmer that was on a very snowy night, and he decided to brave the elements to make it to the church service. Well, by the time he got there, it was such a bad snowstorm that he was the only person there besides the preacher. And the preacher was quite moved that this farmer would make it through that storm. And so the preacher said, well, the least I can do is give you a word. And the farmer said, well, that sounds great. So he sat down, and the preacher started preaching, and he preached, and he preached, and he I mean, it was ridiculous. And after this long sermon, the farmer said, Whew, that was kind of lengthy, preacher. Well, the preacher got his feathers ruffled. And he said, well, let me ask you, when, you, when you've got your animals out there and, and, and only one shows up to eat, do you, do you feed that one animal that shows? And he said, yeah, but I don't dump the whole load. I'm going to try not to dump the whole load of what I heard and what I've been reading on this subject. It, even Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his classic, The Cost of Discipleship, said, Christianity without discipleship is always Christianity without Christ. Discipleship, making disciples, has been a part of the process since Jesus started his ministry. David Schroeder, the president of a theological seminary, wrote, There is no doubt that other than dying on the cross as the sacrifice for our sins, the highest priority of Jesus was the training of his disciples. A major aspect of our calling is making disciples. Shortly before Jesus would ascend into heaven, he would say this to his followers. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely, I am with you always to the very end of the age. 
This word disciple is used some 268 times just in the first five books of the New Testament, just the Gospels and Acts. Disciple literally means pupil of a teacher, one who accepts a teacher's viewpoints and puts them into practice, submitting and surrendering to a teacher's ideas and vision. And all of this is for the purpose of imitation. Jesus himself would say, the student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. And the reason Jesus wanted his followers to be like him, I can answer that question in one word. Authority. His authority. Dr. George Ladd explains, discipleship to Jesus was not like discipleship to a Jewish rabbi. The rabbis bound themselves to the Torah. Jesus bound his disciples to himself. The rabbis offered something outside of themselves. Jesus offered himself alone. Why? Because there's no higher authority. Look, when Jesus walked on water, or when he multiplied the fish and loaves and fed thousands, when he made the blind see and the lame walk and the sick well, when Jesus raised the dead back to life, himself included, he removed all doubt as to where the ultimate authority lies. So whatever Jesus says goes. He's our bottom line. Paul David Tripp said, when Jesus says, all authority has been given to me, there is no room for debate, compromise, or refusal. Whatever Jesus says is the final word, and no one is at liberty to change that bottom line authority. Now, people do say different things than Jesus said, but guess what? Their words have no authority. Anything I or anyone says that, diff that differs from what Jesus said is nothing more than verbal impotence. Words without power, meaningless noise. This is the starting place for making disciples. We have to have this ground common. Recognize the authority. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. We are the disciples of Jesus. All right. And then we are called to follow that authority, follow his directions. Jesus said, as you live, wherever you go, Make disciples. In other words, help the people learn of me, help the people uh, believe in me, and help the people follow me. Making disciples. A young lady was filling out her application to the university that she wanted to go to, but her heart sank as she read one of the questions in the application. It simply just said, are you a leader? And she was a conscientious, honest person. She knew the answer. She wasn't a leader. Are you a leader? She just gave a one-word answer. No, and she folded it up and mailed it in, expecting the worst. Well, not long after, to her surprise, she received back this letter from the university. This is true. This is great. Dear applicant, a study of the application forms reveals that this year our university will have 1,452 new leaders. We are accepting you because we feel that it is imperative that they have at least one follower. You guys, necessary to helping others follow Christ 
It's not we follow Christ. In God's kingdom, leading others to Christ only happens through the active following of Christ. And we follow Christ, and he wants us to share what we've been given. Now, I try. I wish they had this recorded, but I try to imagine what it would have been like to be in audience when the infamous Charles Spurgeon, who is my favorite, when Charles Spurgeon, I, just kind of, let's imagine us all time traveling back a little over 100 years, and you're in the room when he says these words. It is another and a higher miracle to make us who were fish to become fishers, to make the saved ones saviors, to make the convert into a converter, the receiver of the gospel into an imparter of that same gospel to other people. I think I may say to every person whom I'm addressing, if you are saved yourself, the work is but half done until you are employed to bring others to Christ. You as yet, but you are as yet, but half formed in the image of your Lord. You have not attained to the full development of the Christ life in you unless you have commenced in some feeble way to tell others of the grace of God. And I trust that you will find no rest to the sole of your foot till you have been the means of leading many to that blessed Savior who is your confidence and your hope. If Christ has caught us, we must catch others. Let us ask him to give us grace to go efficient and to so cast our nets that we may take a great multitude of fishes. Oh, that the Holy Ghost may raise up from among us some master fishers who shall sail their boats in many a sea and surround great shoals of fish. Can you imagine being in the room when you heard those words? It changed you. Holy Spirit would come inside of you and you'd think, okay, that this is what I'm doing. And I know he's called me to be, work at this place and do this job. But I gotta be about fishing. I, I gotta be talking to people. We've been called to follow the directions to make disciples everywhere we go. We help people learn of Jesus, we help people believe in Jesus, and we baptize people in Jesus' name. That, that's the next thing Jesus said. Have you ever thought about the humble act of baptism? I'm not talking about the get drenching, wet, soaking, dripping in front of a bunch of people act of baptism. I'm not talking about that. I mean, that's what baptism is, but I'm talking about the selfless act of surrendering your own will. Baptism is an open admission that my life is filled with sin and always will be as long as I walk the face of this earth, and I need to be made clean. When we're baptized, we're baptized into Jesus' sacrificial death. Baptism is an acknowledgment that Jesus' sinlessness was placed in exchange for my sinfulness. U2's lead singer, Bono, look what he said about this. I love the idea of a sacrificial lamb. I love the idea that God says, let's face it, you're not living a very good life, are you? <laughs> There are consequences to actions. The point of the death of Christ is that Christ took on the sins of the world so that, we, so that what we put out did not come back to us. 
and that our sinful nature does not reap the obvious death. That's the point. It should keep us humbled. It's not our own good works that get us through the gates of heaven. That's Bono. He got it. If he still has it, I pray he does, but that's it. Baptism is such a humble act of faith. It says, I'm unable to clean myself up. I'm unable to wash away my own sins. I need help. Baptism is about going down, being buried, going low. Look what F.B. Meyer says. I used to think that God's gifts were on shelves one above the other and that the taller we grew in Christian character, the easier we could reach them. I now find that God's gifts are on shelves one beneath the other. And it is not a question of growing taller, but of stooping lower that we have to go down, always down, to get his best gifts. You guys, baptism is going as low as we can go. You know why? Because you're dying to who you are, to your sinful nature, and you're being raised up with Christ. F.B. Meyer, one more time. The only hope of a decreasing self is an increasing Christ. That's why in making disciples, we baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit. It's about Christ's increase, not ours. Now, baptism is important, but it is not all. (laughs) Jesus says, make disciples by baptizing them in my name and by teaching them to obey everything I've commanded. In other words, teach full obedience. Whatever came out of Jesus' mouth. That's why Bible study and fellowship and communion and prayer and small groups and gatherings, etc. That's why all of that is so important. There is so much to learn in coming to know and to follow Jesus. He's writing a story that includes every one of us. And the best part of this story is captured in the last thing that he says. Surely, I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. It's the greatest promise ever given. The greatest promise of all time and beyond time. I am with you. Now, I told you last Sunday that even though this physical life is ever-changing, our call remains the same. Jesus gave his disciples this very same promise at the beginning of his ministry, when he called them, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, names came Philip, Thomas, too, Matthew, and Bartholomew, James, the one he called, Blessed, Simon, also Thaddeus, the twelfth apostle, Judas made, and Jesus was by him betrayed. You learned that in Sunday school. When he made this call, this is what came out in the very beginning. This is Mark chapter 3, verse 13. Look, Jesus went and called him to, called to him those he wanted, and they came to him that they might be with him and that he might send them out. The promised presence of Jesus in the lives of his followers is an unchanging truth. He's with us. He's with us in this broken down room. You know, I look up at the ceiling in here, it kind of feels like an old familiar bar. It's like, I think everybody knows my name in here. I just kind of expect the cheers theme to start up, you know. Jesus is here. He's in this old broken down place. He's in this old broken down person. 
and you're never going to leave. What is the reason we recognize and submit to the ultimate authority in Jesus? What is the reason we follow his directions to make disciples? What is the reason we baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit? What is the reason we teach full obedience to everything Jesus commanded? What is the reason for holding tenaciously to the promise of his ever-abiding presence? The reason is this. We're called to make disciples so that no one is ever left behind. You see, I share with the people God brings into my life, and you share with the people God brings into your life, and the Holy Spirit covers the earth with the fullness of God's glory. God, remind us again. Remind us again that that's what we do. We are a part of a calling that makes disciples. And whatever it takes for us to remember that, Father, I just pray that you'll open our eyes, that we'll see it where we are at our places of work. Father, I realize you're not going to call the majority of the people in this room across seas to foreign lands. Some, perhaps. But you've called all of us right now to this place in northwest Arkansas because you've got a rescue mission going on. There's an outpost here at City Point. You're wanting people to find you. And we get the privilege and honor of joining you in this great rescue mission. Remind us that we are to make disciples. And Father, take us through this great commission again and again and again. Let it be in our hearts. Let it be in our truth. Let it be in our lives. In Jesus' name.